listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the book of Acts, how Christians live. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. God blesses a spirit-filled, spirit-led life of faith. God himself blesses mightily a spirit-filled, spirit-led life of faith. And this is one of the things that we see again and again through the entire book of Acts. Today is no exception as we turn to Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now, a little bit of the background, what's happened prior to this is all of the apostles, they were thrown in prison, then they were released, not by people, but by an angel, an angel of the Lord, and they were commanded by the leaders of the nation of Israel to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. They were beaten by the leaders of the nation of Israel, told this is what you can expect if you continue to disobey us and obey God. And the apostles stopped preaching about Jesus because the persecution was too difficult, too painful, too agonizing. Brothers and sisters, that is not at all what they did. Acts chapter five makes it very clear that they rejoiced that they were considered worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. And as a result of the persecutions, as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, they never stopped preaching and teaching about Jesus. These people understood what persecution was all about, and we would do well in the 21st century to learn a thing or two about what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, to live a life of faith. Those two, we've separated living by faith and living by the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't separate those two. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be led by the Holy Spirit. To be led by the Holy Spirit is to live a life of faith. And here we understand, again and again in the book of Acts, it's all a manual about spirit-filled, spirit-led, God-empowered living. And oh, how we need to rediscover spirit-filled, spirit-led, God-empowered, faith-filled living in the 21st century. Can I get an amen for that? I do not want to preach today as if I'm the only one who's passionate about God's word. I know that you came today, you're listening today because you were hoping to hear something from God. So when you hear something from God, you are allowed to say, amen. You're allowed to say, yes, Jesus. You're allowed to get up out of your seat and jump up and down if you need to when God blows some circuits in your life, when he moves in you, you are allowed to respond. And what we see here in the book of Acts is God moving in people, people moving with God. This is the first century. We need to rediscover it in the 21st century. We need to stop apologizing for Jesus. We need to understand that Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father apart from him. And we need to be today filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, living lives of faith. This is how it's done. Acts chapter six, verse one. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, first time in the book of Acts that the word disciples is used. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, 
a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, the distribution of food. And the 12, the 12 apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples. This would be thousands of believers at this time. They summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. That's a convert to Judaism who then accepted Christ as his savior. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is huge. Remember Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. He was a priest ministering in the temple. So oftentimes we think that these priests or the Jewish people were not interested in Jesus, but the movement of the Spirit of God is taking place. God is moving. Jesus is being revealed to more and more Jewish people as the Messiah, and a great number of priests now accept Jesus as their Savior. This is going to create, as we're going to see, In our next time together, this is going to create a problem because now what do we do with Judaism if the priests are now getting saved? That those who are offering grain offerings and animal sacrifices and ministering in the temple are now accepting Jesus as the once and for all sacrifice, then what do we do with all this other stuff? Well, hold on to your seat. We're going to get there in the future. But first, let's look at verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, meaning Thousands upon thousands, very rapid growth, very widespread growth. This is what was happening here in the early days of the church. A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution, the distribution of food. So we see in Acts chapter 2 that they had everything in common. They're sharing their possessions. Acts chapter 4, they had no needy persons among them. They were selling their possessions. And one of the things that had developed was they were so serious about their faith that they were selling things and buying things and giving things to give to those who didn't have things. And the Hellenists, they were Greek-speaking Jewish believers. They were Jews who spoke Greek. When they would go to the synagogue, they would speak their service. Their synagogue service would be in the Greek language. That's what it means, Hellenists. Now, the Hebrews, they were Jewish believers in Jesus, they spoke Aramaic out and about in the commonplace, but when they would go to the synagogue, the services would be in Hebrew. And so this creates an opportunity for division at a very key time in the church. And look at the solution of how the apostles came up with the solution. More importantly, how God solved this problem that presented a great problem, potential for division in the church, Look at how God solves this problem. Verse two, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, this is a great opportunity for us to plant an ethnically based church. We can have the Greek speaking church and we can have the Aramaic speaking church. Is that what it says in your version of the Bible? 
That's the reverse standard version. It doesn't say that, does it? Tremendous opportunity for division and God turns it into an opportunity for unity as he always does. Whenever God is blessing, there is unity. Now, there are times when God blesses when there is not unity. I'm talking about momentum. When you see God blessing again and again in your marriage, in the workplace, in a church, among the leadership. I've got some elders that I'm looking at right now. You guys know from firsthand. God has taken us on a process. Deacons, I'm looking at some of you who are deacons. We know, we know how beautiful it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. Staff, we know that when we're unified, when we're operating as one, centered upon and gathered around the only one who is really our leader, we understand that God blesses, that God moves. And so this threatens to undo the church. This idea of the Hellenists being separate from the Hebrews. The Greek speakers and the Aramaic speakers, they spoke Hebrew when they were in the synagogue called the Hebrews. This threatens to be a tremendous schism in the church. And look at the solution that God provides. The 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, we'll get into this a little bit further. We'll get into this a little bit further. This is important to understand the D-G-R-T-M-T-D-I principle. That principle is revisiting us again, the DGRTMTDI principle. Did God really tell me to do it? Remember that acronym, DGRTMTDI, and you'll remember the question. You need to ask this question of yourself. You need to ask it as a family. A church needs to ask it regularly. Did God really call us to do this? Did God really tell me to do this? Tell us to do this. The apostles understood that their ministry was to be men and women with their wives, okay? The apostles were the apostles, but their wives had to be walking with Jesus as well. The apostles understood that their job was to be men who were intimate with God through prayer, and then they were able to teach as a matter of the overflow. It's not a superiority issue, all right? It's not a superiority issue. It's a priority issue, They understood that their job was to pray and to teach the people. That was the responsibility of the apostles. They also understood that something as insignificant, we might think it's insignificant, to wait on tables. What do you need to wait on tables? Let's see who the waiters and the waitresses are in this community of 1,000 people, 2,000 people, 3,000 people. In this community of thousands of people, there, there has to be people who have experience in waiting on tables. Let's look at their resumes and we'll pick people that have that qualification. No, you don't see that brought up at all. The qualification for waiting on these tables is that they must be men who have a good reputation, similar to what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 in the appointment of elders. Must have a good reputation even with the outsiders. We see that they must be men filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom. Now, if that's what was required to wait on tables, 
then who are we to think that there's any area of life where we don't need the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's filling and the wisdom from Almighty God? Your work matters to God. Your service matters to God. How you're serving the Lord matters. And the only way to serve the Lord, the only way to serve people is with the filling of the Holy Spirit. The wisdom that comes from Almighty God, that's the way we do it. And we seem to have forgotten that. I don't know about you. I need to be reminded again and again and again and again that God's work requires God's power and it is courtesy of the filling with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. These men who were waiting on tables, the apostles recognized it, thousands of believers recognized it, It wasn't waitering or waitressing experience that people needed. It was the filling with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're led by the Holy Spirit, guess what? Your reputation will take care of itself. That's why it says they had a good reputation. Pick people of good repute. That's why it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Good reputation with outsiders. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, if you are faith-filled, your reputation will take care of itself. More importantly, God will take care of your reputation. You do not need to be your own public relations firm taking care of your own reputation. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, faith-filled. Filled. They cannot be separated. Even though we think it can be separated today, they cannot be separated. Look with me. You don't believe me? Look at this. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, what they said pleased the whole gathering, thousands of believers, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They take place in that same phrase, that same sentence. To be a man or a woman, a boy or a girl of faith is to be a man, woman, boy, or girl who is filled with, led by the Holy Spirit. This is a great need. The biggest need in the body of Christ today is for men and women to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what you need in your marriage. That's what you need at the workplace. That's what you need in the neighborhood. That's what we need in the church. Listen, you might say, I'm saved. I'm born again. I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Well, good for you. If that's all that we needed to be game changers, life changers, community shapers, culture changes, then could you please explain to me why the book of Acts is spending so much time again and again, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. You need people waiting on tables. They need to be filled with the Spirit. They need to be filled with wisdom. We need to be reminded today that God's work takes God's power, takes God's spirit. You need God's Holy Spirit. You need wisdom to raise your children and your family. You might say to yourself, well, I'm not a homeschooler. I send my kids to public school. Good for you. You're still a homeschooler. Every child is watching their parents and learning things in the informal arena, the informal classroom of life. Your children are watching you. They're learning from you. You are a homeschooler and you are a homeschooling father. You might say, I'm not a homeschooling father. My wife takes care of it. My wife is the homeschooler. No, you are homeschooling your children. The question is, do they see in you a spirit filled, spirit led man of God full of faith? 
Do they see a spirit-led, spirit-filled couple leading that family, directing that family? Do your coworkers see you at the workplace? Do they see you at the workplace? Do you have a reputation where they know that you are filled with the Holy Spirit? You are led by the Holy Spirit. You are filled with faith by the deeds that you are doing at the workplace? This is a great need in the church. Tremendous need in the church. And this is why we see it again and again throughout the book of Acts, and we're going to continue to see it throughout the book of Acts. It's about everything that Jesus continued to do. He begins the book of Acts by saying, in my former book, I told you about everything Jesus began to do. But in this book, I'm going to show you everything that Jesus continues to do. And you know how Jesus continues to do his work? Through the filling, the leading, the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you believe otherwise? This is what we need in the political world. Listen, you know that I believe that Christians should be saturating and permeating politics. There is no such thing in the Bible as separation of church from state. No such thing in the U.S. Constitution, Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights. That phrase does not appear in any U.S. law. If anything, the Bible makes it very clear that God is a proponent of saturation of state with church, courtesy of men and women, boys and girls who are filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, faith filled to overflowing. This is one of the things that needs to happen in politics. We don't need just Christians who are born again in the political world. We need men and women who are in politics, who are filled with the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. Because when I read my Bible and you read yours, when we read the book of Acts, it's not just that somebody's a Christian. It's that somebody is filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. That Christian is the one who is changing culture. Those Christians are the ones who are changing society. Those are the people that the world is looking at, sitting up and taking notice and saying, wow, look at this. And you can't beat them into submission. You can't imprison them into submission. You can't persecute them to shut up. They are standing up. They're speaking out. They're living out their life. And do you know why? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in them. This is what we see in the first century. And you know what? This is how it works in the 21st century. This is how God operates. It is the spirit of God at the workplace that needs to be operating in your life, at the dinner table, in your home, in the church. We have many thousands of believers in the United States of America, and we have forgotten God's not-so-secret, secret weapon of change in this society. He is unapologetically the Holy Spirit. And you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everybody who's a follower in Jesus Christ needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. How often? All the time because I leak and you do too. If they needed the Holy Spirit to wait on tables, you need the Holy Spirit to do what we would otherwise think is a mundane, insignificant endeavor in life. There's no such thing as a mundane, insignificant endeavor in life if you're a follower of Jesus. God's called you to be salt and light. Make what's distasteful taste better. Take what's dark and shine the light of Jesus on it. 
And God has given you, he's given me the power of the Holy Spirit conditioned upon personal surrender to Jesus. That levels the playing field. You want to talk about being spirit-filled, spirit-led? Somebody asked me after the first service, what's my opinion on being filled with the Holy Spirit? I said, it's simple. You need to be emptied of yourself, surrendered to Jesus, committed to Jesus, and God will fill you with his Holy Spirit. It's as simple as that. What's the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Courageous humility. That's the evidence, period. Let's close in prayer right now. How do you know whether or not you are filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit? You will be courageous for the things of God. You will obey God rather than people. And we have many thousands of people in the United States of America who have given their lives to Christ, but we have forgotten the power of the Holy Spirit, the leading with the Holy Spirit, that being faith-filled and spirit-filled are inseparable. This is Luke introducing to us in Acts chapter six, this key character who will become the first one to give his life as a martyr for Jesus, Stephen. And you know why he does it? Because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. When did we start thinking that being filled with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit equals safety and security? That is not biblical. Jesus does not save us to make our lives safe and comfortable. He saves us so that we can spread the aroma of Jesus and build the only kingdom that's going to endure forever, regardless of what it might cost us personally. We have ingested some bad theology when it comes to giving our lives to Jesus. When you give your life to Jesus Christ as your savior, you now belong to God. Paul says, don't you know that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Honor God with your body. And this is what we see happening in the book of Acts again and again. Yes, your work matters to God. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, be filled with faith. Those are not separated. They're not separated from each other. To be filled biblically, with faith is to be a man or woman, a boy or a girl who is filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. There's nothing mundane about the life of a Christian. And if they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit and filled with wisdom to wait on tables, you need to be filled and led by wisdom, the same wisdom from God as well. Great need today. Great need today. Now, I want you to notice here in verse one of Acts chapter six, I don't know if you realize this, that this thing that threatens to separate the church to cause tremendous disunity in the church is not a theological issue, it is a social issue. And that's often the case in the body of Christ. It's not the theological differences that cause us to be divided. It's often social differences and preferences, personalities, here it is, culture. Many evangelical churches could swap their doctrinal statements, move on without skipping a beat, without missing a beat. But you know what causes division in the church? Racism, racial disharmony, secondary things that shouldn't even be secondary. Things that really don't matter in the eternal scheme of life 
or I should say it this way, they matter deeply to God that we allow them to matter and we make them into something they should not be. If you are listening by podcast or radio, if you are listening right now, I want to kindly challenge your thinking about racial differences in the church. God dealt with it here when there could have been racial division. They could have had the establishment of a Greek-speaking church that was different than the Hebrew believers, and they didn't do that. I remember a number of years ago when we were planting our church, about 10 years ago, we were down in Charlotte, North Carolina. We moved from Portland, Oregon to Charlotte, North Carolina to plant a church. There was another church planner who went from Indiana to Charlotte to plant his church. And we were at a gathering together and we were just conversing, getting to know each other. And I said, what kind of a church do you want to plant? And I figured that when you're church planting, you talk to people about what kind of church, you know, what's your demographic, what's your target audience, you know, you're, you're moving across the country to plant this kind of church, that kind of church. For me, I wanted to plant a church that prioritized preaching the Bible and putting it into action. How many of you are surprised that I'm saying that? Whoever wanted to come, you come. This brother, I asked him, what kind of church do you want to plant? He was a black brother. He said, I want to plant a black church. And I looked at him lovingly and I said, okay, we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, right at the cusp of the good old South. And it's 2009, about 2,000 years after the time of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And you're coming to the South to plant a church based on ethnicity? I don't understand that. He did not like that I challenged it. But if you come around long enough and you, you listen long enough, how many of you know that I don't care a whole lot about people's opinions? How many of you know that? <laughs> Just like you. Just like you, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're led by the Holy Spirit, if you are a person who's committed to living out the words of the Bible, you will care about the opinions of God more than the opinions of people. We all stumble with that. We all struggle with that. But the solution is the filling with and the leading of the Holy Spirit. The world is looking for unity Last year was a terrible display, especially the past couple of years of racial disharmony, racial division in the United States of America. Where was the church? Now, there are many leaders within the church who did great, godly, spirit-filled, spirit-led things to speak to the racial division. But I don't think we went far enough. I don't. There's something wrong if the black church is over here and the white church is over there and never the two shall meet. The world needs to see the melting pot of the body of Christ in the way that we will see it one day when we look at the book of Revelation. People from every tongue, every tribe, every nation gathered around the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have to be intentional about it. I thank God that our church is becoming more racially diverse. I thank God for that, that it does reflect more and more the community in which this church is. It does reflect that when you go out a mile, two miles, three miles, five miles. But we need to have a holy discontentedness about that. That we need to, we need to understand that our commonality is found in the person and the works of Jesus not in whatever skin color we might have. Yeah. 
The world should be looking at us, the leaders in the church and the body of Christ, and saying, they have the solution. And he's found not in a program, but in a person. These people are serious about their king and the kingdom. They live it out. They don't just talk about it. They live it out. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to be more intentional about seeing people based on the person and the works of Jesus who died for black people, white people, yellow people, red people, and everybody in between. Jesus died for everybody. It's all red. The blood of Jesus is red. And Jesus' blood was shed for every single person, every single race, every single ethnicity. Therefore, we should be regarding nobody based on the color of their skin. We should be basing our relationship with others who have given their lives to Christ on the person and the works of Jesus. The world should be looking at us, the church, and saying, I want who you have. We have the answer, and his name is Jesus. We have the answer. And so the church responds to this under the leading of the Holy Spirit. They respond, they say, we need to solve this bump in the road with the filling and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Then we know that people's needs will be taken care of. Then we know that people will be able to continue to mature in the Lord and walk with the Lord and continue to grow in him. That's what it's all about. Discipleship is about becoming more and more like Jesus. A disciple is somebody who becomes more and more like Jesus in character. In character. You may or may not have any say. You rarely have any say in whether or not God will perform a miraculous sign or wonder through you. But the most miraculous sign and wonder that you do have a say in is whether or not you will reflect the character of Jesus Christ in the everyday grind of life. And how we do a disservice to Almighty God when we look at the book of Acts or other parts of the Bible and we get stars in our eyes only looking for the miraculous signs and wonders, the supernatural in that realm. When you and I have been given the opportunity to live out, to walk out the supernatural day by day by submitting to the Lord Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, faith-filled and becoming like Jesus in character. That is a sign and a wonder that the world needs to see. And it's time for you and for me, for us as the church, to arise for such a time as this with the filling, the leading of the Holy Spirit to say yes to God, no to the world, no to the flesh, no to the devil. The solutions to the problems that this nation is facing are found in the person and the works of Jesus. Manifest courtesy of, the filling with, the leading of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit in your personal life. Great that you're saved. If you've given your life to Christ, that's a beautiful thing, it's a great thing. But don't make the mistake of thinking that that's all there is to it. It's a me, myself, and I attitude. It's a very selfish, self-centered, infantile perspective of Christianity when the only thing you care about is fire insurance 
when the only thing you care about is whether or not your sins are forgiven. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, you begin to be concerned about whether or not your neighbor's sins are forgiven. Your family members' sins are forgiven. You care deeply about the direction of the nation, whether or not it's going in the direction of Jesus or in the opposite direction of Jesus. Courageous humility is what's needed in your life. It's what's needed in my life, your family, my family. This church and every church around the nation, we need the filling with the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. We need to be faith-filled. We need to again embrace the biblical teaching that it is not possible to be faith-filled without being spirit-filled, without being spirit-led. The Holy Spirit is the solution to changing your life dramatically, radically, practically, personally. Your marriage will be transformed. Your family will be transformed. Your community can be transformed. Our church can be transformed. And I'm going to have the audacity to say that even a nation can be transformed by nothing other than a group of people being filled with, led by the Holy Spirit. Because this is exactly what we see in the book of Acts. And here we are in Acts chapter 6, and we're seeing it again. The life-changing, game-changing, life-changing, culture-changing, leadership-changing work of the Holy Spirit. And brother, sister, if we've ever needed a movement of the Spirit of God like that, we've needed it now. So right now, wherever you are, if you're driving in your car, listening on the radio, I'm going to ask you to pull your car over right now. Surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've already done that, empty yourself of yourself and ask God to fill you and lead you by the Holy Spirit. And for those of us right now, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And in standing, you're saying, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to change my life. I need the Holy Spirit to change my family. I want and I need the Holy Spirit to change this church. I want and I need the Holy Spirit to change this nation. Does not get any more practical than this. It's great to be born again and have all of our sins forgiven. But once we're born again and all of our sins are forgiven, now it's a matter of being led by the Holy Spirit. Being somebody whose life is characteristically known by other people as being filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. It was available to the church in the first century. It's available to the church in the 21st century. It is available to you, to your spouse, to your children, to your parents, to anybody hungry enough for a mighty movement of God. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. You can also invite Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event. To learn more, visit couragematters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking.